right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast with my co-host Alexander the Hawk. Hello, how are you guys doing? Guys, what are you trying to say? We have a we have a guest with us this evening. Yes, we do. We got Matthew with us as well. Sorry That's about that, guys. Yeah. The gentleman with Matthew over there is the great Greg Delisso. Hello. How you doing over there, bud? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. You know, we wish it was under better circumstances, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those, you know, for the for those that didn't read the headline, you know, we recently lost a comedy legend, an icon in the biz, and. You know, when it comes to stand-up comedy and comedy in general, you know, when these, you see these icons, when they go down, it's so tragic because, like, there's really nobody at that caliber, so to speak, of, in style. Uh, There's a rawness. Like, Norm was a a comedian that, like, very edgy. A dude that didn't look the part. He He was the Fonz, even though he didn't look the part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he got, you know, he's like, got like a, you got like Gilbert Godfrey, maybe some Art, uh, Artie Lang in there. The comedians that like put it out there, like it, it, they're going to drop a joke for like maybe five people will laugh and then a hundred people will be horrified and walk out. But the jokes for like those five people, yeah. you know what I mean? And they don't mind. That's Definitely. a beautiful thing. Um, you know, more than five people would always laugh at Norm's stuff, though. So we don't want to <laughs> compare them like that. You know what I mean? But, yeah, very, uh, you know, very tragic. Uh, like, uh, it was the last week, I believe it was. Yeah, I think it was last week when uh, when he passed. We've been so busy. Time don't even, time doesn't even matter anymore. And uh, I remember when... I remember, like, you, when you, you you put on your phone and you see the headlines, and then when you clear the screen to tap into it, like, you got you to, gotta, like, erase it, so to speak. You got to, like, you know, to, to move into the phone. And I remember seeing a picture of Norman just being like, I hope this ain't what I think it is. And then I went on the book to, to go verify where you want to verify all your facts. <laughs> and everybody was doing their, their tribute things. Um and it was like a gut punch, you know what I mean? Because uh, he always seemed like he was very healthy, you know what I mean? And I know he wasn't one – he gambled, but he wasn't one that, like, drink and do drugs, I believe. And it was just kind of crazy, you know what I mean? Uh, Greg, I know you're a, you're, you're a huge fan. Do you remember where what you were doing and what was going on when you found out? Yeah, I was at work, and um, I was away from my phone for a little bit. And I got when I got back to my phone, I had a ton of messages. and. I, that's kind of abnormal for me. So I was, I looked at, could see some of them and I had friends that were like saying they were crying and asking if I was okay and stuff. Uh, and then I saw kind of same thing. I saw the, the picture and didn't believe it was real. And it was kind of just like frozen for a, a minute. Um, and thankfully at my job, um, you know, they're very like sort of gracious and, um, it was, it was, you know, it was okay for me to kind of like even take a minute and we sort of talked about it and stuff. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it was an absolute shock. I mean, obviously, as we know now, um, it had been a secret that, you know, he was, he had kept for basically a decade. 
yeah. um, that he had had cancer and it was, it's kind of amazing to reflect on now. I mean, I'm someone that has, has really mined uh, so much of, of his life and material. And um, it obviously paints such a different paint, you know, paints the last nine years of his, his output with such a different brush mm. uh, to know that he knew that he at the very least had cancer. I mean, obviously a nine of a nine year battle, you don't really know anything about, uh, cause you know, he was private about it. So we don't know any details about, um, you know, did he have it at one point and then it was, you know, it went into remission and then it came back or was yeah. he, was it a slow burn the whole nine years or what was, you know, obviously nine years is, is, is almost is like an eternity to, if you were kind of suffering through that the whole time. But like you said, um, he appeared uh, very healthy and, and not only just appearing very healthy, but I would say that in the last nine years of his career because really um you know he started doing comedy in 1984 in ottawa canada but he 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 did his first letterman in 1990 so you're talking about uh you know 30 uh you know within the public eye uh, roughly 25 to 30 years uh you know the uh, his him doing update would have been about 1994 95 um so you're talking about you know a little 25 year span um really in these last nine years, which would have been a whole an entire third of his public career, uh, he was probably more prolific um, during that this last uh, chunk of his career than at any other point. Uh, he has the Netflix uh, special, um, the best-selling uh, memoir uh, book from 2016. Um, the, he had a podcast that was good too. Yeah, well, the, yeah, exactly. There's the the first iteration of the YouTube podcast, which I believe was around 2013, 14, and then again the the YouTube, or I'm sorry, the Netflix one um, called Norm McDonald has a show, yeah. uh, which was on uh, just about about two or three years ago, two years ago now, um, and yeah, and con- you know, continuing to obviously do stand up across uh, North America. I mean, I saw him live uh, two years ago. And when you watch him on his Netflix show uh, from 2019, um, and unfortunately they only they were only able to do about 10 episodes uh, because it actually got canceled because he got into some trouble uh, using the term Down syndrome on uh, the Stern show. Uh, but um, he looks uh, healthy and vibrant, you know, as ever. And, and of course, right up until uh, the shocking end, um, you know, he he seemed that way. So it was definitely a shock. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I agree with you on him, but those, uh, the last nine years, 10 years, you know, he really did certify himself as like a legend, you know what I mean? Um, within it, you know, that, you know, that's, you know, a lot of bigger comedians, you know what I mean? Would always name Norman there with their favorite, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, a, a comedian's comedian. I mean, yeah. I'm thing with like a you know a musician's musician or a filmmaker's uh, filmmaker. You know, basically just means that um, they might not have the absolute biggest mainstream uh, fan base, but part of that might be because what they're doing, um, and like you maybe touched on in the intro there, is that uh, you know he a joke that Norm would do might not land for the entire audience uh, of people, but it was but for that percentage of people that did get it it was that much more funnier and you also felt like you were on the inside of something uh that other people maybe didn't understand because they they weren't sort of in, part of that little world um but that being said um comedian other comedians 
kind of all, you know, pick up on that and, and, and can see that. So to, to them, he's the most brilliant guy in the room because partially I would say, because maybe uh, this is a weird thing to say, but not, not that in a way it's almost that they couldn't do that. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of, the other comedians in the room are sort of always trying to reach everyone in the room. And when they yeah. see another comic like a norm that doesn't seem to care if everyone in the room gets it or not, uh, I, there's a hint of like, wow. And kind of awe and amazement at the fact that that, that somebody could just not care like that. I mean, I think maybe the most famous uh, example that can make this sort of make sense to people is if he, if anyone is familiar with the roast of Bob Saget, which is the only roast, uh, the comedy central roast, it's the only roast that Norm ever did. Yeah. Um, and of course he went on up on the roast and, instead of doing the ordinary, you know, really dirty and really sort of like mean spirited digs at, at, uh, at, at Bob Saget and the rest of the people on the panel, um, he told these really old antiquated, uh, sort of, um, like you could call them like dad jokes from the forties, like extremely, uh, lame, uh, clean and just very, uh, sort of gentle and like lame jokes but of course, the the simple it's for anyone who gets it. I mean, it's so obvious is that it, he's turning the concept of the roast on its ear, sort of making fun of the roast, the whole idea of the roast by being anti-roast. But when he did it, and I remember watching it live, and he would talk about it afterward because it became this kind of legendary thing. Um, yeah, most of the people in the room didn't get it, and they were mostly silent and not really laughing not really understanding what he was doing or maybe even a tiny fraction of them who did understand what he was doing, but then didn't like it. Like the thought like, Oh, well this is sort of a jerky thing to do to kind of shit on the roast. Um, you know, if you're invited to speak at it, but in the wake of it, you, you hear all these comedians talking about, it, you know, like when Norm was on Marin and a few other podcasts, they would ask him about it and, and really have this great uh, reverence for it. Not only for the so-called, you know, the, the balls that it takes to kind of do that, to stand up in front of a crowd and kind of purposely bomb or do oh, something no. that people get, but, um, but, you know, just to, to, to do something totally different, uh, but that is, that, that's also just so funny. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, one of the, probably, if not, I mean, I'm not even saying anything out of school on this one. I mean, probably the most respected comedian amongst other comedians that uh we had going for sure i mean i think before i would say probably before his me too mo moment it was probably louis ck but ever since he sort of had a fall from grace or however you want to describe that uh i think norm absolutely took over that mantle as like the singular most respected comic amongst other comics for sure yeah, he was fearless for sure. I mean, you could even, when you think of an audience and the bombing aspect of it, you know, the going out there doing those father jokes is like, that's more fearless than even, I feel, dropping a joke that's just super offensive that, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, what I mean? it's definitely uh, the deal. But yeah, that's why I got the respect type deal, which he deserved. Um, you know, he was, yeah, like you said, he was a Canadian uh, comedian. Uh, yuck yucks did the old yuck yucks in there, Montreal. Cause, you know what I mean? Just for laughs was big for him, I remember. That was big for a lot of Canadian uh, comics out that way. 
but I know he was a star, a star search contestant, you know, back in the, we have our America, what is it? America's got talent. We have, that's our star search nowadays. Yeah. He lost to this guy. So because he was, is Canadian, uh, it was 1990 and he, he was put in the international competition and again, Canada, not very internet. I mean, it's technically yeah. international, but not, not really, but he was against this guy called the Bushman who was this guy that would, uh, dress in like crazy, you know, African, uh, whatever you want to call it. I don't know, you know, traditional, whatever. And he would dance around and do this crazy, you know, big giant African dance. So Norm goes up there and he does, you know, two, three minutes of, you know, his, uh, you know, it's material about answering machines and dogs at the time. That sounds like any, any American comic that you'd see on Carson at the time. And then this Bushman guy shows up with all the crazy energy bouncing around and doing all this nuts stuff. So the Bushman got five out of five stars and Norm got half a star. Mm -hmm. He was like one of the lowest rated things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it did, you know, it did, wasn't, uh, it, it was, it was around that same time that he did his first Letterman. And of course, as we all know, letter, he became Letterman's favorite comedian and, 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 uh, was the last comic to ever appear on, on Letterman when, when Letterman did his last show and did a very touching, uh, thing where he actually, Norm actually broke down and, and teared up and stuff and, uh, yeah. went off. so yeah, yeah. I always get a, whenever the comedian, it's like they're like wrestlers, you know what I mean? They don't want to break kayfabe, you know what I mean? They don't yeah. want to give the gimmick up. So whenever I see him get emotional, I always make note of that. Also, uh, I remember Dice Man got emotional. I think it was on um, uh, the the Fist in the Arsenio Hall, I think it was. Um, and he broke character, like right at the peak, right well, right when he was like at the, at the height of his success. Yeah, um, yeah I always, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was good with Nor and both of those gentlemen, because the Nor, I do fit the Norm. There's a character there, you know what I mean. There's a gimmick there. I think there's a, you know, those old school comedians come from a time where like everybody had to have a gimmick to a degree, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that was his deal, and it was great. Yeah, I always like when they break character. I like that for at the right time and place, you know what I mean? I love it. There's a few. Interviews. I mean, I've, I've, you know, mined, you know, Norm's career uh, so extensively, and without exaggeration uh, or, or hyperbole at all, have literally listened to him uh, every single day of my life for the last five years, uh, and even, and of course, before those five years, he was a huge part of my life ever since I was a little kid when when he was doing Weekend Update on SNL. But um, no, I've I've listened to so many different interviews, and, and I will say that. Occasionally, when he would be being interviewed on Canadian radio, is when he would be a little bit. More, he would sort of drop the persona at times, and I, I think, and this is just my own theory about it, so I, I could be totally wrong, but I, I get the. I almost got the sense that uh, he's on his home turf, and he sort of maybe knows in some way or thinks this interview is not going to get out there as far because I'm not in America. And he's not really thinking about like YouTube being something that's going to capture this and preserve it forever. So he's, it's sort of thinking, I, I, I don't need to put on my persona for this as much because um, I'm in, like, again, I'm in my home country 
and I'm sort of, it's not, this is not going to go as wide again. I could be totally wrong, but I've, I've, I've noticed that there were some Canadian interviews that he would do on, on podcasts and radio where he was much sort of, I guess you call it disarmed or, or something where he was kind of speaking more freely, which in a tone that sounded much more like himself. And uh, he's a deeply uh, philosophical, um, religious person. Um, something that I, you know, I'm I'm really not those things, especially not religious. But he was a Christian. He's essentially he's a Christian conservative, which uh, is like almost hard to believe in in some ways. I mean, I, I also have my sort of theories about uh, how he thought of that, or what you know, how that came to be, or something. I, I guess, but. But no, I, I, you, you, you're totally right in that, you know, it, it doesn't, on paper, it might not look as, as big as like someone like Andrew Dice Clay, who was clearly, you know, putting on this like big character. Um, but obviously when you'd watch Norm on Conan or Letterman or anything, you know, you, you're noticing the, one of the first things that you're noticing is the persona, you know, that was the word that Letterman used to describe. And I think it's the perfect word in that you know he he developed this this funny way of talking where where there were odd pauses and there were certainly you know planned uh mumbling and stumbling around as to to create a very um odd sort of meter to the way he talked it was not free flowing it was not smooth it was it was um very choppy and and strange but it sort of sucked you in and made you kind of pay attention and it created a, a thing where the, the beats to how he would talk became part of the joke. So the pauses that were built in it were part of what made it funny. Um, which is something that I think the, the only person that you could possibly compare it to, and I've heard people do is like a Mitch Hedberg style um, where the, the persona is sort of like very much, you but it's this off kilter version of of you that is presented in a different way um that's somewhat hard to define but um was definitely you know a big part of it and and uh yeah he 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 created uh what i think is the most sort of interesting persona and certainly the funniest um of of any comedian of all time i think where where most people just tried to sort of sound like themselves or sound like they were sort of doing shtick. Uh, Norm always, it always felt just very uh, hilarious and somehow authentic, even though it wasn't, I guess. I remember on Stern still where to get excited and just swear a lot in his sentences, like yeah. fucking this, fucking that, fucking this. Yeah. Uh, I always loved hearing that. I think one thing about with Norm is that he was for the most part, he was extremely dirty uh, in both the topics that he would talk about uh, and also his phraseology. And in the, yeah, he would throw in a ton of um, swearing, but well, the thing I sort of loved uh, maybe not most, but one of my favorite things about him as a comic was that he uh, could be absolutely um, clean yeah. and, and smooth, which is something that, I, I have sort of a, a larger working theory that a lot of his persona in his public image was based around Bob Dylan and the way that he uh, sort of produced a, a public image um, 
you know, in interviews, the way that he would interact with interviewers and it was always sort of playing with them and you never got a sense of the real person underneath. Um, with Norm, uh, one thing I loved was that, uh, so with Bob Dylan, everybody kind of makes fun of the voice that Bob Dylan put on when he would sing, like, you know, that whole thing. And Norm kind of, it's the same thing because his comedian voice was also very like, eh, eh, like that, this kind of almost obnoxious sounding, yeah. like higher pitched, strange kind of affect that he would put on. Bob Dylan did the same thing, but both of them were sort of secretly smooth when they wanted to be. So you sort of learned, you saw the depth of how much they were actually putting on this persona because when Bob Dylan wanted to, he was actually a great singer when Norm needed to, or wanted to, like, for example, there's one clip where he's hosting uh, the Canadian screen awards. So it's something again, that was only broadcast in Canada and CBC. It's like their film and television awards. So like our Oscars and, and, and stuff. And he's hosting that and he's in a tuxedo and his jokes are hundred percent clean and he's completely smooth in his delivery and it almost has a more of a, like a Bob Hope kind of a feel to it. Yeah. And it's hilarious. He's hilarious. But I think the remarkable thing is that people think of him as sort of the very dirty comic, you know, throwing around a bunch of F words and sex acts and stuff in his material. And he certainly was, you know, in this persona voice with all the, the stumbling and all of the pauses in that. But when he wanted to be really polished uh he absolutely could and i think it it's the sign of someone who's sort of a true um craftsman that is a true genius of a of a craftsperson at the absolute height of their craft is that that the persona is just one facet of the genius of of how good they really are and that um that it, again in that bob dylan sort of way if you needed him to go sing for real, he could do it. But when he was putting on his show as Bob Dylan, he's doing the kind of singing that we all kind of can kind of parody or make fun of because he's an artist and he's doing his art. And that's what, that's the, what he's going for. That's the presentation that the expression that he's doing. Um, so yeah, I think in that way, Norm was like an absolutely a true genius and an underrated genius that I, I don't think a lot of people, I think most people do just sort of think of him as sort of the dirty stern uh comic with like the, the the funny persona and if that's all they do then that's fine because that's still that's great that too yeah hilarious yeah no that i mean and it's yeah that's beyond hilarious i mean i think that version of him is still the funniest comedian who's ever lived but i just there was also just more to it there were more layers to it and i think that uh one reason why he was so respected with his peers as well because i think they all saw that yeah he could do both sides yeah now, before he got SNL, he wrote for uh, the Dennis Miller Show as well as Roseanne. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking on before the show, you know, big fans. I'm big fans of both. I, You know, Dennis Miller, I've always had a special place in my heart for. I think he has that. I mean, he's got that kind of dry, normie type vibe to him. A different, different, but, you know, along the, you know, in the same kind of ballpark. Yeah. Um, perfect fit. It was always good to hear him come back and do, uh, do the show after the fact too. You know, Dennis Miller is a show whenever because Dennis Miller had a handful of shows throughout the years, and Norm was always a uh, guest on it, which was fun. Yep, I, I love listening to those. There's a lot of uh, multi-hour-long blocks of the radio ones on YouTube, and I 
I really, I, I liked Dennis Miller, but I would, especially when I listened to those, I would always be kind of tickled by how much Dennis Liller, Dennis Miller uh, revered uh, Norm and just thought he was the most hilarious person. Cause he can't, there's bits that Norm would do on those radio shows where he just can't keep it together listening to Norm at all. Like it's he just losing in hysterics laughing. And I always loved that. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, the way that it goes, I, you know, Dennis Miller show uh, was the first thing that Norm was writing on. Um, and he, you know, got the job writing on Roseanne. Uh, Roseanne actually asked him to play a role on the show but he told Roseanne that he couldn't act. Uh, he was like, I should have just said I could act, but he, he but he, you know, lied my way through it, but he didn't do that. So he's only a writer. And then, uh, yeah, he got hired um, on SNL while still working at Roseanne. So he quit Roseanne and moved from, uh, you know, LA to New York to do a weekend update. Well, not actually, actually that's not true. He was first on SNL only as a writer. So he was there as a writer for a, a year or two before he got weekend update. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, are you a, are you a fan of Roseanne the show? Never really watched it that much. Um, I uh, I have a certain respect for it because yeah. I think of all the shows from that era, um, the little bits of it that I've seen, it was certainly the most sort of like true to life, um, and and also just sort of like the most like resonant show of that period. If, if we're sort of talking about like the family sitcoms from uh that era i mean i'm a midwestern guy myself from the suburbs of detroit so certainly the sort of working class uh overweight parents kind of midwest uh quality uh definitely resonated with me for sure um but uh yeah was never i you know it wasn't really on my radar i mean I'm, i'm sort of sitcoms i'm not really into them um as a thing, just I mean, as an art form in general, there's certainly yeah. a few that I, I love, and, and certainly Seinfeld and Curb are, are are two of my favorite things that have literally ever existed in in history. So I'm a huge uh, like fan of those, of course. But in, in some ways, they're kind of the anti sitcom. But uh, but no, um, it was never really on my radar that much. But I know that Norm, um, you know, stayed very close with Roseanne, and certainly when she. Uh, and I don't, I, you know, obviously I, what, you know, I can't condone some of the things that right. you know, said or believes or whatever you want to say. She's crazy. I, I, yeah. Sure. Um, but, but Norm certainly, uh, stuck by her, um, and was, was stayed, remained a, a good friend to her, uh, throughout that entire thing. And I always thought it was, um, kind of compassionate on his part and also interesting, uh, just to sort of watch that relationship and him sort of talking to her post, uh, you know, her career being over and things like that and still supporting her and stuff. Uh, I mean, Norm essentially got in trouble, you know, within this whole sort of whatever you want to call it, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it, era. But yeah. basically because, you know, he, he was friends with both Louis C.K. and Roseanne, who were both disgraced for, you know, whatever reason. And uh, Norm was in an interview sort of just basically saying that he had empathy for the two of them. And that he was trying to help both of them through it and, 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 and suggested that they talk to each other and that his words were, you know, misconstrued in some way. So he actually had to go on like places like the view and like apologize. This was around the time that his YouTube show, or I'm sorry, I keep saying his uh, Netflix show came out and they basically didn't do the the next season of the show uh, because of this controversy 
which again, all of it is so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like a lefty at heart and, and I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think the cancel culture thing is like a whole different conversation, but yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, it was, it was certainly horrible and bothersome that, you know, they couldn't do more episodes of, of Norm's show because of people misconstruing, uh, his truly empathetic words, uh, and, uh, about that stuff. So yeah, it was certainly, you know, it's cer- yeah, it was certainly annoying. Yeah, sort of. The, well, the, with Roseanne, Roseanne is a. I, Roseanne's a good show. It's one. It, it carried the torch for like it was the biggest show when it was on. It was huge, um, and I think it's got like one of the best twist endings in a television show ever. Type deal. Uh, if you watch it and, and you and like appreciate the characters when you get to the end of it, I think you'll give you you'll be surprised uh, the feels that you feel from it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good film. But SNL comes knocking on his door. Uh, joined SNL in 1993. Yeah, as it would have been as a writer. Yeah, and then I think joins the cast probably the next year. Yeah, he was he was one of those guys that was within the the bridge where it was when he started on the show. It was still Sandler and Farley and uh, sort of that era. David Spade. Uh, that whole era, Kevin Nealon uh, on the show as in the cast, but then um, he was one of the few people that stayed when they did that turnover, and then you got into the Will Ferrell, uh, Jim Brewer kind of era. So um, it was a, kind of an odd transition because you know we all there's a two sort of very distinctly different eras that sort of both uh, generated these like mega stars uh, after the fact. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the time that Norm was on, uh, it, critically, it was at its bottom. Uh, they were saying that it was like it's one of its worst periods, and no, you know, the critics all hated Sandler and Farley and and Spade and those guys. It was only sort of after the fact that they all blew up and became these huge things that uh, they kind of rewrote history. I mean, personally, as a kid, I always loved those guys and loved that era for sure. Um, you know, the way that Norm got hired was. Uh, you know, Sandler and Spade, uh, Chris Rock, all those guys knew Norm as a fellow comedian, and they were sort of all comedians, um, and they suggested Norm uh, as, a, as a writer on the show, and so that's how he got the gig. I think there was a little bit of uh, solidarity between Norm and Lorne Michaels, because of, of course, both being Canadian, and Norm sort of knew Lorne from Canadian television back in the uh, 60s and, and 70s. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, but then eventually he got the weekend update thing. He used to tell this really, this funny story and I won't sort of like do any imitations or butcher it, but you know, he's in Lauren's office and, uh, I guess Lauren originally wanted him to co-host the weekend update segments with a female and, uh, Norm didn't want to do that. So he was saying, we well, yeah, just, you know, give it to Al Franken. He'll just do it. And, but Steve Martin was in the office at the same time and, and Lauren was sort of looking for, um, some help, you know, convincing Norm. So he was like, what do you think? What if we, you know, we should do it with a female co-host and everything. And Steve Martin was just like, I think that's a terrible idea. I just had to do this, you know, hosting thing on some award show and they paired me up with this woman and she did a terrible job and it sucked. So, um, uh, so he kind of like got the gig doing it by himself because of uh steve martin in that room and of course when norm tells the story it's really funny i'm not i'm not gonna try even attempt yeah. to 
that. But but uh, no, his, his weekend update. I mean, certainly it was. I I think certainly the most interesting thing that they they've ever done in the history of of Saturday Night Live for almost fifty years. I think that uh, you know Norm teamed up with Jim Downey, and the two of them sort of isolated themselves. And and Norm kind of ironically enough, Norm actually hated uh, being in sketches and didn't really want to be on the rest of the show. He sort of just only liked doing the news. But I say ironically because Norm actually wrote. Um, the most famous sketches that the show has ever had, which is the Celebrity Jeopardy sketches where he mm. played Reynolds. Um, and the story behind that, too, is that there had been a, 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 a game show a show like that sketch on SCTV that was written by Eugene Levy. And Norm felt like he wanted to do the Celebrity Jeopardy thing, but he felt like it was stealing. So he called Eugene Levy and sort of asked him permission to be able to even do the sketch. And of course, Eugene Levy didn't care and he got to do it. And of course, one of the jokes being that for like everybody else is playing themselves of the correct age, but Norm is kind of without explanation playing Burt Reynolds from the seventies, yeah. uh, which, which was just kind of funny, but, um, but no, those are, you know, those are one of the things that he's most famous for uh, are the, of course, of those sketches. And he also played, I remember as a kid, uh, loving the few times when he would actually play, do an imitation of Tarantino. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite. Yeah, which was which was like surprising because you know you don't really think. I mean, he also obviously did Bob Dole. You know that would have been in '96 during the election against Clinton and stuff, and that was kind of a big famous thing too. But he really didn't. He didn't like to be doing sketches and stuff. He just liked to do update. And the thing that was obviously so unique with update for when Norm was doing it was that. It was that was to me really where his persona kind of became crystallized because it was the first time, first of all, just in the public eye that you know, like I said, he started doing stand-up comedy in '84 in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, first is on television in 1990, so you have six years of touring and doing stand-up that we really have almost no record of because there's not much video of it or audio or anything. Yeah, but once he once he breaks through on Letterman and starts doing the talk show circuit in 1990, you know he's just doing stand up bits and and honestly, like let's say he had flamed out uh, or or gone out of the business, I, we don't, I don't we wouldn't really remember Norm. I mean, they're, 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 the bits are fine, but there's nothing like really unique about them in any direction. But it was really when he started doing Weekend Update. It's like every week he's on television. Uh, this is back, obviously, in an era when there was no YouTube and, there, you know, the internet wasn't really a thing yet. And this is, like, being broadcast to, like, tens of millions of people every night that are all watching. And it's really when that persona that we all think of and know of as Norm kind of first hits and develops in that the pauses are interesting. The, the, the delivery um, has a, a very specific cadence to it. The phraseology is very specific. Uh, the, just the tone of the jokes are very specific. There were a lot of um, inside, like, non sequiturs that got set up. I mean, the most famous one being the Frank Stallone, constantly bringing up Frank Stallone. Yeah. The, the, and so the Germans would have us believe. Uh, Germans love David Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff, yeah. That stuff was all started. But, of course, the most famous thing, and this is just dumb luck or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, lucky circumstance, that the OJ trial – which was the biggest, you know, pop culture news story of a generation uh, was happening during that time. 
and Norm uh, just mercilessly, uh, you know, made fun of O.J. Wells also just saying how guilty he obviously was the entire time. And, um, you know, famously, as the story goes, Don Olmeyer, who was the president of NBC, was also close friends with O.J., told Norm to stop doing O.J. jokes. Uh, Norm ended up doing more O.J. jokes because that's the kind of guy he is. It's, you know, fuck you to the to the, the, the authority and everything what part yeah. of what made it cool. Norm has said, had said in later interviews that it, it was possible that it wasn't as much the OJ stuff as the idea that Don Olmeyer would be watching Leno five nights a week on NBC and watching the monologue and the monologue would get these giant, you know, wall to wall laughs the whole time. And then he turns on Norm it was only on once a week and he's not getting the huge laughs that Leno is. Mm. And the reason is because of what you were talking about before in the intro of this was that Norm was fearless and he was okay with bombing. And he almost, almost thought bombing was kind of funny at times. Yeah. That was the vibe I got. He, it was a joke that like a very inside joke when he bombed. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he sort of, I think he sort of almost thought it was cool to be esoteric. And if he believed in a joke, he would do it. Even if he knew it wasn't going to get a laugh because maybe it didn't work at dress rehearsal or something. And then he would do this great thing. And I remember being 10 years old and and watching him on um, SNL. And it was sort of my, you know, being only 10 years old, the first time I'm sort of experiencing in forming the beginnings of my sense of humor and personality he would do a joke on Weekend Update and it would bomb to the audience in the studio. But then he would stare into the camera lens with this sort of grin. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes he would stare and he would freeze so much so that uh, it, it would almost look like your TV was like broken or something. He was literally just like staring and frozen. You couldn't even tell that there was like, it looked like it was on pause. And he would do that kind of until he sort of broke the audience, like, so they would kind of laugh at this weird thing he was doing, that it was just silly to do that yeah. and create this uncomfortable moment. But it was also sort of acknowledging that the joke didn't work, but it also felt like it was sort of for the viewers at home. So like 10 year old me is sitting there and it's almost as if Norm, the anchor tells this joke, it bombs. And then he kind of like looks directly at you and kind of grins, like almost like, did you see that? Like I did that. I just did that and it didn't work. Like, I'm sharing this moment with you. Now, it, it's obviously there's tens of millions of people watching. It wasn't, like, just me. But it was it created this esoteric sort of personal thing where he developed this true connection to the people that really got it. And it was really profoundly interesting. It was also some of my first sort of understanding of, like, meta comedy as well. Because he would also, yeah. um, you know, if the studio audience, sometimes they would boo at a joke or they would not, you know, they would not let it be silent or whatever would happen. Uh, he would make self-referential comments about it as well. He would, he would, you know, make fun of the studio audience or he would goad them on or egg them on. I mean, I think one of the most famous ones of those was he, he told a joke about uh, women uh, being bad drivers or something. And uh, it was, the, the joke was something about like a, a pie chart and the numbers in the pie chart didn't add up to a hundred. And that's because the math was done by a woman the audience boos and then Norm and you know that you can see that he's going off script now 
Yeah. So he's on his own and he says, well, the, you guys that are booing, you should know that that joke was written by a woman. So then the audience kind of laughs and, and kind of halfway is kind of caught up in this tension. And then there's another pause. And then he says, I'm just kidding. We don't hire women. And again, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to do an imitation. I, so I'm, I'm butchering it. I'm not doing it Jenny justice, but it was that it was his quick wit and his ability to walk these tight ropes and think on his feet and do that stuff in the moment that was so magical. And there's really nothing like that. Uh, there's been nothing like that before or since uh, on Weekend Update or even sort of on television. Um, and it was really a magical thing. So when he got fired eventually, I think it must have been about 97, 98-ish, yeah. um, he would go on Letterman. I remember he went on Letterman the very day that he was fired. And, of course, by this time, you know, he's one of Letterman's favorite comedians. He had famously done an imitation of Letterman on yeah. SNL. That was really funny. Um but Letterman, of course, not it's not only that Letterman loved Norman was his favorite comic at the time, but it was also that Letterman loved anything that put egg on the face of NBC because, as we all know, Letterman didn't get the Johnny Carson job and had to go over to CBS and had a competing late-night show with Jay Leno's Tonight Show. So there was all this fighting between the two of them. So Letterman you just truly reveled in the idea that he got to make NBC look bad while also supporting his friend. And at that point, Norm's career kind of uh, blew up. It's like the publicity of being fired from SNL in this very public way where people really kind of supported Norman were on his side. It, it, that is what spawned um, Dirty Work uh, as well as uh, the sitcom that Norm had, The Norm Show, which was on... Uh, I believe a ABC. I could be getting that wrong. I ran, it ran for three seasons. Um, I mean, it was a sitcom. It wasn't really very good at all. Uh, Norm was very out of his element on a sitcom. Didn't enjoy really doing it. Didn't really believe in the art form. Um, you know, it was just, it was kind of just like a, a, you know, I think that we all know also by now that Norm was a gambling addict. So, uh, I think big paychecks were attractive to him because you would take your big sitcom money and then go to Vegas and lose it all, which he famously supposedly lost all of his money, like I think three separate times uh, yeah. throughout his career. Um, so there's that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's an, the, the sitcom is kind of like an interesting artifact of the career to go back and look at. Uh, and when you can see how sort of uncomfortable he is and how much he doesn't like like the form, um, but, uh, yeah, they actually, they did another one too. He had one called a minute with Stan Hooper that I think was, I don't even know what network that one was on. That one didn't last even as long. I was only like a season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. He was a gambling man. Now, I wonder if, you know, the, the same rush that he got with the gambling is like the rush of throwing a joke out there live and you know what I mean? Yeah, Whether probably. it be SNL or on the stage and not know where it's going to go. You know, Probably. I mean. He, he, um, he, well, I, a, a, an interesting fact, little thing about him, uh, the movie Rounders, yes, um, was actually partially based on his real life. Interesting. The, uh, the screenplay, uh, writer for Rounders used to shadow Norman Artie Lang when they would go to these sort of like underground poker games in New York. Now, nothing, I, I, it wasn't 
to that level. There was no like, you know, crazy violence or whatever, but it was just sort of, he, the writer was doing research by following Norm around in those worlds, um, which was obviously super interesting. But yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, you mentioned like drug use and stuff before at some point. I think um, there's always been conflicting things because, you know, Norm uh, was very open about the fact that when he was a young person, he did a lot of drugs. Uh, he had stories of, you know, in his, in his material about like doing acid and stuff like that. Um, according to him, he stopped all that stuff at a fairly young age because uh, he is somebody that suffered from panic attacks um, and, uh, I don't, I think that he was, at least in his words, and again, I, I sort of have to clarify all this because you never know exactly what's true. It's following in line with that, again, that Bob Dylan-esque persona. Mm. I don't know what is true. Like, I, I've heard Norm say that, you know, he only listens to outlaw country western music, but then I heard him in other interviews be extremely literate uh, about, um, you know, other musicians from other genres and stuff. And I don't know, I never know to what extent he listened to any of that other stuff or just knew about it. I, you know, it's, it's all sort of, it, it was an enigmatic and on purpose and he, sleight of hand that he was always doing. But I, yeah, I, I always sort of got the sense that for the most part, he quit uh, hard drugs and booze at a younger age, but that gambling was the vice that yeah. uh, he felt like he could still do. Um, and certainly did it. I mean, famously when he was, uh, doing SNL, you know, at the end of the show, the cast would always stand there and like wave to the audience. Norm was never in those because Mm -hmm. as soon as weekend update was over, he would take his limo that all the cast members get limos and they go to the after party. He would get in his and go directly to Atlantic city and just be gambling. Um, so yeah, he definitely, I mean, there's, you know, Norm, was obsessed with outlaw country. His, his best friend was Billy Joe Shaver, who oh, was yeah. a famous outlaw country artist um, and everything. And uh, I know that Norm did get to meet Bob Dylan and spent time with him and everything as, as well. But um, uh, no, uh, I, I think that the idea of the outlaw country artists in the, the, the sense that they were still connected to this sort of, uh, old school, rugged, uh, on the fringes sort of outlaw mentality, not where they're literally having gunfights. Although actually Billy Joe Shaver did actually shoot a guy in the head in a bar in Texas that did actually happen, but not that, you know, not that Willie Nelson was like in gunfights or whatever, but the idea that they were that of the country musicians, they were not the ones that were covered in rhinestones doing the sort of Garth Brooks poppy, sort of uh, Taylor Swift country, they were doing the more sort of down and dirty, depressing sort of raw, uh, you know, kind of roots music country. Mm. Uh, But the idea that they were, um, they were, you know, drug users and writers and sort of on the fringes and uh, sort of lived this kind of, you know, the life of say like the guy in uh, Jeff Bridges and like crazy heart or something. They're just sort of these like wandering kind of, drunks that get in their own way and live these kind of, again, quote unquote outlaw lifestyle. I absolutely think that Norm reveled in, uh, at the very least creating a persona that he was that way. But from all accounts, like from hearing other people talk about him and other celebrities and stuff, talk, tell stories about him, he seemed to really, uh, be that now, whether or not it was, um, 
you know, healthy or, uh, you know, how he lived his life day to day. I mean, he was certainly a strange person. He never learned how to drive a car. Um, he had very odd, uh, habits. He was, you know, nocturnal and, um, you know, again, the drug use thing, we don't, we don't know what that really was, but, but I, again, I, I got, I always got the sense that he was somehow emulating these artists that he loved that were guys that were like a Billy Joe Shaver or a Hunter S. Thompson or a Dylan or a Kerouac, people that are sort of out on the edges and that, um, that their artistic output is is isn't where it stops and that in their real day-to-day life they were truly uh eccentric and like odd and uh kind of not put together people and um yeah so i I think that that was definitely part of norm's sort of journey through life for sure and of course even the way that he died um him keeping it a secret uh it's actually i've heard him talk about uh richard farnsworth who was a famous character actor for forever almost kind of like a harry dean stanton tile style uh character actor that went on for many years but so so richard farnsworth was in uh a david lynch movie called the straight story which is a movie that was g-rated that he made for disney sam hayes this is sam hayes's favorite star of groundhog boombastic film movie sam hayes's favorite i think at least David Lynch movie, if not favorite film ever, is this film you're about to talk about right now. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite Lynch movies. It, it's it's a brilliant movie. Uh, it doesn't need to be any higher rated than G, and it doesn't hurt it. It doesn't feel like it's doing any kind of like pandering or shtick by being that. It just is what it is, and it's a beautiful, brilliant thing. Um, yep. Norm, I've heard Norm talking about how not only how much he filmed, talk about how David Lynch was a huge fan of his, which I always thought was amazing as well. But the as the story goes, Richard Farnsworth was dying of cancer as they were making the film, mm. and he kept it private. And he uh, died by actually uh, doing what I've heard Norm call that they call it a stuntman's death because that's Richard Farnsworth was a stuntman back in the way back in the day, where you literally take a shotgun at your head and you use your toe to blow your head off. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And Norm kind of came out and said, you know, if Richard Farnsworth had told the Academy that he was dying of cancer, he would have won the Oscar for the straight story, but he didn't do that. He didn't tell his, you know, he left, he sort of made things okay with his family and left a note and talked to some people right before the end. But he didn't. He kept it private from his friends, his family, from everyone. No one knew that he was dying of cancer. Norm emulated that and did the same thing. Now, I don't. I don't think that Norm killed himself. I'm pretty sure he died in the hospital. But um, the idea of him keeping it a secret was sort of yes to emulate the kind of person that would do that. Uh, that that would keep it a secret so as not to burden other people with the pain of it. Uh, so as not to taint his public persona. I mean, imagine if we had known for the last nine years that Norm had cancer and you're watching all his material and all his stuff, it would certainly paint a different brush, uh, paint, paint, you know, paint it differently if we had known that. And it's sort of this, in a way, it, as shocking and painful as it is that this person is gone and taken from us, and I'm sure it's very difficult for his you know, son, who's a, probably about 30 years old right now, uh, and everything, his family, um, 
you know, what a, what a sort of strong and kind of beautiful thing to be able to go out with that kind of dignity, I guess, if you will, which I just think oh. is sort of fascinating and something that we certainly don't see anymore, uh, you know, nowadays, especially, but probably forever, you know, people are terrified and are afraid of death. And I, I, I don't have that kind of strength for sure. So the idea of, well, I want to get all the sympathy. I want to hear that I love you and I was meaningful to you and stuff from all my loved ones because I'm so afraid of this imminent death that's, 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 uh, prowling behind me. Um, and yeah, so to not, uh, to not give into that and to not do that is just like, wow, it just, it blows me away. And it's just so, um, again, the, the shock and the pain of, you know, finding out that this person that, you know, my favorite artist of all time, the most meaningful artist of my entire life, but also somebody that not only was those things, but was still active and could even be argued was in their prime still. I mean, it's a long prime, but like was more prolific than they ever had been, was still doing live shows, was still creating content uh, at their highest level uh, to be gone was, was, was a huge uh, blow to me and very sad, but, um, but no, uh, to go out in that way is just, um, you know, it's, it's somehow inspiring and it, it, it really makes me sort of reflect on my own probably weakness and, and how I think about death. And, and I'm obviously, you know, I know, you know, but, you know, having my own tragedies in my past and having lost people uh, and just reflecting on that a lot more. So I, I sort it's sort of the final gift that Norm uh, gave to me throughout my life, who's someone that I, I've truly been a, a, a huge fan of and um, a supporter of. And, and, you know, inspiring me for 25 years. So, yeah. 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 I always, when I heard about the, you know, the, the, the nine years and the, the, the silence, it's crazy. Cause like a lot, you know, a lot of celebrities would be, it'd be a payday. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, Oh, well, you know what I mean? Um, it, or, or just like, you know, a fa- you know, Facebook likes and stuff like that and hearts, which, you know, different strokes, different folks. You know what I mean, but um, yeah, yeah it's it was very it was very, the, the it was like an weird awkward honorable kind of choice. You know, he didn't want people to kind of go on that journey. It's strong, man. He had to take that that journey, uh, probably not alone, but with a small group of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. did be an outpouring. If he was public, there would be a public outpouring. You know, in, in I don't know. It's almost like you feel like that positivity would almost be medicine in a way. It's weird. It's weird to take that stance, but I'm definitely not judging it uh, at all. But it's a very weird stance, you know what I mean? And I respect it, though, completely. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm, you know, I, look, I, I'm certainly not judging either side of it either. I mean, I, yeah, I you know, someone that that for me personally, you know, was that has suffered the, you know, unfortunate tragedy of having to you know discover your closest loved one passed away and and passed away at a you know the the young age of only 32 and also somebody that was certainly uh sick and declining but it was still a surprise that they were gone and not having had the chance to say goodbye or to say i love you for one last time or anything um you know it it certainly I, i don't you know, because that person in my life didn't know that they were passing, they certainly weren't 
telling us, oh, I, you know, it's time to say goodbye or this is happening. In fact, they were, they didn't believe that they were dying at all. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I witnessed that and I'm utterly, you know, terrified of death myself to the point where I was thrust into having panic attacks myself and, and sort of having these paranoid sort of swirling anxious thoughts about my own demise and, 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 and truly paranoid thoughts about, you know, I'm a, I'm knock on wood, I'm, but as far as I know, I'm a healthy person, but, and, you know, certainly not at death's door for any reason, but that I would have, I can constantly attacked by these paranoid, you know, panic feelings of, you know, what if that happens to me for whatever reason, if I, what if I just suddenly have a heart attack or an aneurysm or a car crash or something? And it's, it's, um, they can be crippling those kind of thoughts for sure. And, um, you know, honestly, a lot of Norm's material, and honestly, long before he ever got the cancer diagnosis that, that we know of and everything, a lot of his material was about death and those right. types of feelings that I just talked about. He has a lot of, um, the bits that are about that. And then it's kind of, uh, it's deeply more profound to realize that, uh, he has a lot of material about that post cancer diagnosis and up until, you know, that, that. He, you know, his, he only did three stand-up specials in his career. They're all, they're probably my one, two, three of all time. They're my favorite things ever. But the the latest one, the most recent one is on Netflix called Hitler's Dog. Yeah. And it's, I think, 2000, either 18 or 19. And uh, he talks in it a lot about, you know, the fear of death and the fear of, 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 of that stuff coming. And it's, it's amazing to think that, of course, um, during that time, that it, it was on his mind for completely upfront and rational reasons. Um, Cause here I am, I, I think about that stuff all the time and I'm sort of haunted by it, but I don't, it's again, it's not going to, but as far as I know, I don't have any reason to, to be so to, uh, you know, anyone that, that goes, that is approaching death or has a cancer diagnosis or any kind of diagnosis of any kind. And anyone that is in that situation and is making it public and saying, you know, Hey, this is happening to me. And, you know, even if they're doing it, like you said, just to have that life preserver of, you know, the likes and the thumbs up and the heart emojis and the people showing support, I don't blame them or begrudge them at all. And I don't think that that's any kind of weakness of any kind, uh, at all. I, right. I think, uh, I think death is terrifying and I think that everyone is allowed to figure out how they're going to navigate this inevitable thing in any way that they can. And I also, I don't even want to say, I don't even want to go as far to say that the way that Norm did it was like any more brave than anyone else, because I don't want to, that sounds unfair and judgy to me to be comparing those two things. I, I think everybody has their own journey and that's what they, that's just what they have. However, of course it's, it's in another way undeniable that what Norm did, you know, had a bravery to it. And, and I've even heard some people argue in the other direction that there's this selfishness to it because you're not giving your, you know, again, we don't know exactly who he told or what the situation really was, but you know, you're not giving your friends and family, loved ones, uh, any sort of warning. And perhaps the pain of it being sudden is like maybe more difficult to handle. Um, 
than if he had sort of told them before. I, I, I can't begin to speak to that. I, I'm not obviously never knew him personally, so I don't I don't know anything about the inside version of that. I don't even know to what extent I sort of agree or disagree with that line of thinking. But I again I still think that uh, what he did do, at least in the version of it that we are aware in the public. Um, is certainly a brave way to face uh, death, which again is this unfortunate inevitability. But you know, it, yeah. So I, I just think, um, as shocked and as sad as I was, I do sort of reflect and think, you know, yeah. Had I had I known for nine years that Norm was like dying, I wouldn't. It would. It would. I would watch all of this stuff with a completely different mindset. Yeah. And it would have painted it in a different way. And I, and I just, I truly love the fact that the last nine years of my life listening to Norm, I had belly laughter that made me truly happy. And I'm a depressed fucking person. So I need, I really needed those laughs and he gave them to me more than anyone else in the world. And that I got, got to experience those without the tainting of, like, well, this guy's like dying or, or, you know, right. so I should think about it a certain way. The fact that they were just, they were totally, uh, unvarnished with any other feeling other than this guy is so fucking funny. And I'm so, uh, lucky to get to listen to him and his, you know, persona and his point of view and his person and his expression. And it made me laugh so deeply uh, and again, I needed those laughs. So, I mean, when, when I did experience my tragedy of my wife passing away, I had already been listening to Norm consistently for a year and a half. I mean, again, I been listening to him since I was eight years old, but had been listening to him on YouTube and stuff uh, for consistently for a year and a half. But after she did pass away, Norm was kind of like the only thing that I could listen to. And it was certainly the only thing that I could listen to where somebody was talking about death that I could um, enjoy. And, and, and it, you know, laughter was difficult, especially for the first couple months after losing my wife. But it, I could at least, it was, he was the only thing that penetrated that shell and kind of kept reminding me that there's art out there that can affect you deeply, that can turn tragedy make it funny or make something you bring levity to, to your life, make me smile. It was the most profound thing. And I, I'll, I sort of never, I will always put, have a deep place in my heart and in my mind for Norm for getting just his being, getting me through that. And, and certainly now my, my wife has been gone for almost three years. And now the fact that Norm is gone, um, it's been a really difficult couple a week or two since he's the news was announced that he's gone uh and and yeah it is it's almost embarrassing to some extent because i didn't know the guy personally and and um you know it, 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 this isn't someone in my life and i i've never uh been i've never cried over a celebrity death before um i'm not ashamed to say that i did i did for norm and it's not just because i spent 25 years of my life uh having my sense of humor shaped by him and 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 being such a fan and so inspired but certainly also because, uh, yeah, he, he just his whole spirit and soul is, is part of what got me through my wife passing, and, and I'll never forget that. Um, yeah. 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 It's definitely, I mean, we on the, on the, for this show, we can definitely talk about, like, the dark humor of things. We say some dark things, and it's like the, 
you know, uh, my take on it is like there's times and people that don't, you know, a whoopee cushion joke ain't going to make them laugh anymore. You know what I mean? They need, you know, life gets very dark and I think the humor kind of needs to combat the, the darkness. You know what I mean? And sometimes it has to be touch on things that, you know what I mean? That don't, that don't often get touched on, which is what Norm did. Um, Another thing that kind of comes to mind too is to bring it back to the wrestlers' gimmicks and, and, and the stuntman thing. It's like Norm comes from an old school style of comedy that announcing that you're sick is like it is it's a weakness, so to speak, in certain minds. So you've, he's probably thinking of you know losing work or something like that because right up until he like he has dates booked in the Wilbur theater in Boston, I think early October. So he was booked going, 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 working, working, working. Yeah. My friends had tickets to see him in New York in November. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. it wasn't, I think that he, sadly, I think that he, I, I think it was a remission thing where like, I think he had it and it went away and it came back. And I think that right. Maybe it went away again. Um, and he, you know, booked dates or whatever, and uh, unfortunately, it came back and just this time a gunham type deal. You know what I mean? You know, it's 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 like you. It's interesting to hear you say that that way because I, you know, I'm reminded in Hitler's Dog, which is his, you know, again his Netflix special from just a couple years ago. Yeah, he literally is he has a bit in there where he's talking about metaphors, and he talks about the classic metaphor that's like, you know, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And then, he, and of course, in the classic Norm Cadence and persona, he says, you know, but it's not, it's not true. That which does not kill you makes you weaker and will probably yeah. kill you the next time it comes around. And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even attempt to do some kind of like hacky impression of him and, and not do it justice. But uh, it's such a fun, you know, it's one of those things where a, a joke like that, you know, first of all, obviously now in context, you think like, well, holy shit, like that. <laughs> He's literally speaking like, you know, it's not just literal truth. It's it's certainly his truth because uh, that's exactly what happened to him. I mean, that's exactly right. But I, I always, you know, so it's, so it's, so of course, so first of all, it's, it's amazing and profound to think about him experiencing that and turning it into comedy uh, on stage and, and making such a hilarious thing out of it. But also, yeah, no, I, just that joke alone. I mean, we, you can sort of analyze on the face of it just why it's like funny and it has to do with the, you know, again, the phraseology and the dissection of a, of a metaphor that we all know and, and bringing some reality to it. Uh, and, and, you know, you could, you could analyze that. And I think that's like valid and fun to do, but it's also that you know, he was one of those guys that, um, you know, there's, there was a deep, when his comedy was at its highest and, and this was honestly often, there was a deep profundity to the resonance of the truth or, or even the non-truth of what he was saying um, that really did, in a very deep intellectual philosophical way, it really made you think about life or about, um, you know, the universe or the nature of things. Uh, that's, like, kind of surprising. Again, again, because you're dealing with someone that a lot of people – would think of as like this guy that would go on stern and like be real dirty and had a bunch of really dirty bits and stuff. And, and it's like true. I mean, that there, there's no denying that. And I, again, I think that stuff is hilarious. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against any of that material. I love it all. Um, but again, 
he he would go into jokes sometimes or bits, and you sort of you, you're 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 deep into it, and you're sort of thinking like this is a really kind of deeply profound observation about the nature of, of humanity, but it's disguised under this you know crazy story. I mean, obviously, a, a famous example of that would be um, the famous moth joke uh, clip um, from Conan, where he takes the you know old antiquated joke that we all know the moth uh you know goes into the doctor's office and complains that it's like foot hurts or whatever and the the doctor says well why did you you know you need to see a different kind of doctor why did you see me well the, the light on you know it's a very short simple children's joke you know that's kind of lame and kind of obvious and nothing and, and he went on conan and proceeded to stretch it out for six minutes and in his version of it, the, the moth is goes to the psychiatrist and it starts sort of like dissecting its own life and and what he's what Norm is the, so the, on on paper the, the joke basically is that you're taking something that's supposed to have brevity to it and stretching it out and the longer you stretch it out that almost that the, the, the sheer idea that you're stretching it out becomes the joke. It, it, like the, the, the philosophy of comedy in the idea that like the audience comes along with you for this ride and they're, you're delaying the punchline. And as you keep delaying it, they continue further down on this journey. And so that the, when the punchline finally comes, they've almost forgotten what it's going to be. And it gets a bigger laugh in that way. And, and on paper, it, it's that's sort of like a, a very clever but funny experimental way to sort of deal with joke telling and comedy. But it's not just that. I mean, there, there's depth to that as well that we could, you could talk about sort of the mechanical nature of jokes and how Norm was kind of a master at, at, at experimentation and, and doing it, doing that. But on the other side of the the story that he has the moth telling in the joke is a telling of the idiot by Dostoevsky. But, and it's also this like very deep sort of dreadful sort of morbid uh, self-examination where the moth talks about like, you know, hating his own son and like hating his boss at work and losing his like actually being in this caught up in this like existential dilemma of, of life and everything. And again, I think it's, I think it's this stuff that, was I always found most sort of interesting about Norm because again I, I don't begrudge anyone or I'm not bothered at all by anyone that literally just thinks of him as like the guy that was in Billy Madison that was like drunk uh, on yeah. you know and laying by the pool or like the guy that has the cameos in the freaking um, like Deuce Bigelow movies and like you know the, the stern guy being dirty and stuff because that that's all true and that he did all things and those things are still funny and it's all great. But like I said, there, there was this deep, um, like, intellectualism to his humor and his being that was really just interesting to listen to. And the further that you go down the rabbit holes, uh, listening to him on various uh, podcasts, interviews and stuff, there's just he just has a lot of really deep insight. But again, both into the, 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 his literacy of comedy as an art form itself, uh, you invoked, you know, this old school, so he, you know, he his sort of love for like guys like Rickles and Bob Hope and Newhart that harken back to this like older school era of show business and the way that they would perform, you know, 
so he has this deep sort of wealth of, of you know, study, what is it, scholarship, um, you know, in the, the art form of comedy itself, which is just amazing to, to listen to and to learn from. And, and of course, then the, the, the writing sense of, of uh, you know, looking at somebody like a Bob Dylan or Billy Joe Shaver as a writer, and Norm was extremely literate uh, and, and, and you know, read all Dostoevsky and Twain and all these guys. Um, and so talking about the wordsmithing and phraseology of, of joke telling itself and uh, the mechanics of, of comedy, which is insanely interesting to listen to him talk about. But then it's just the musings on uh, life itself and the, the, the depth of that. And I, I just think there was nobody better. It was like, it was this basically this like secret intellectual because, you know, a lot of what Norm's persona really was, was playing the dumb guy, was playing the part of the fool, was playing the part of the everyman, playing the part of sort of the G-shucks, like, uh, you know, goofy sort of old school guy. I mean, a lot, if you go back and watch a lot of the old Conan spots, uh, he's often, it's not just the moth joke, it's, you know, uh, these other ones where he's sort of like telling, he's spinning these old yarns about like life on the farm and, 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 and uh, you know, growing up in rural Canada and telling these sort of like old jokes from like the forties and stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was all wrapped up in that, but, but, but underneath that veneer of um, kind of the old school attitude was really this truly sort of like out there uh, deep uh, intellectual. And I think that that's just a super fun, it's my favorite thing about him and it's the most fun to kind of dig through, um, you know, his, all his uh, stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a heightened, heightened comedy type deal, almost Kaufman-esque, you know what I mean? The throwback, he was, small cameo he had in the Man on the Moon film, the Andy Kaufman movie. That's how he played Michael like, Richards. Richards, yeah. yeah. It was interesting that he, he Milos Forman, uh, who's like one of the most amazing directors, of course, you know, did One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and, and Amadeus and everything, he was an amazing That's director. Crazy. He uh, took a big shine to Norm um, because of Weekend Update. What really loved those spots, so he used to befriend him and, and started taking the dinner. And Norm has some funny stories about like going out to dinner with Milos Forman and stuff. But um, uh, Milos Forman was always asking Norm to like be uh, in his movies, and he's he's in People versus Larry Flint and Man on the Moon, but he's like barely in them. He's in them for like a tiny amount. According to Norm, though, Milos was offering him like these big roles. I'm almost like wondering, and I don't have any confirmation on this, but I'm, I always wonder if if Milos was offering Norm the Edward Norton role in uh, Larry Flint, which like kind of wouldn't surprise me in a way. But uh, yeah, it's it's funny to think of like those together. But that's the kind of thing is like Norm plays it off as if he's just sort of this G shucks like dumb guy, yeah. but here he is sort of having dinners with Milos Foreman and talking about all these you know just whatever, you know, whatever they're talking about, but, you know, just, he's, he's sort of this like deeply artistically literate uh, person, but it's all kind of hidden. Yeah. Alexander Hawkman, you over there, Bob? Yeah, I am. You've been very quiet this whole time. You got beef with Norm McDonald? You guys cool? No, I got no beef with Norm. I, I mean, well, I have to admit, I'm not, um, uh, a huge fan. I I did appreciate his humor and uh, his uh, his wit. Um, I mean, my favorite movie of his was uh, the movie Screwed. Oh, Screwed! 
I really, I really lo- loved the movie. Really loved his character in it. I mean, the thing is, I, I can, I can always appreciate um, comics of any kind uh, without um, really, I guess, being huge fans or enjoying their, their humor so much. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, I I enjoyed Norm's wit and way of of telling a joke and the way he looked at the world. And but I I, I like I said, I mean, I I really was a fan of like the movie Screwed and Dirty Work was great, but I really didn't follow him that much. And uh, but I I always. Always appreciated him. I mean, it's kind of like the same way I, I kind of feel about Dave Chappelle. I mean, I'm not a big fan of his humor. It, it didn't really work for me. Uh, but I always appreciated, you know, what he had to say and how he said it. And Norm MacDonald, I kind of felt the same way. Which is, you know, I mean, both of them being in, you know, the movie Screwed. I thought we really worked well together because the two of them, while they had different sensibilities and humor, I thought they worked really well together and actually made a a great team. I kind of wish that there was more, um, that the two of them did more stuff together. That'd be some dirty work. (laughs) No, I can understand all that for sure. I, I, Chappelle is also one of my favorites, and um, I, I've I've heard that the you know that movie obviously bombed, and it's not uh, it's sort of not as considered as Dirty Work because I think Dirty Work really captures uh, Norm's sort of like esoteric humor. So it's sort of like if you're in the cult of Norm, that's the one that everybody kind of gravitates to. Screwed is definitely a, a, a funny uh, comedy, though, and I, I've, I've definitely have heard that uh, Norm say that he didn't really know Chappelle before uh, making the movie, and then uh, they became great friends uh, during the production and it remained that way. And I, I always loved that uh, when Chappelle did his uh, Sticks and Stones uh, special uh, from a year or two ago on Netflix. Uh, it's the one that ends where with. Um, uh, rap song playing and then a bunch of still images of That's all of them I think yeah uh yeah well there's just there was one picture of there with of, of uh Dave and Norm uh, and I just okay. sort of love that he threw that in there uh you know just you know because Dave is also somebody that is kind of um you know considered one of the absolute greatest of all time and yes. most most highly respected and I just felt like, and of course, like, you know, within that photo montage, it's like him with like John Stewart and Obama and like, all, you know, all the biggest kind of people that, that exist. So I, I just loved that Norm was included in that because he's one of the biggest people for me. And, and, uh, and I it just, I don't know, just seeing the, even just a picture of those two guys together um, and just the acknowledgement that they're both sort of on the sort of Mount Olympus of, of those guys uh, is amazing. And it's, it's, uh, it's amazingly sad to think that one of them is, is gone, you know, is, is cause and, and hopefully Dave uh, stays a long time. You know, one great thing I heard, I, 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 I'm, I think, I think it was actually Jay Leno 
who said this about Norm, which was is so true, and it's such a. I mean, I was thinking it, and it's such an amazing thing. Is um, of all the people to die of all the comics, Norm absolutely would have been the best one for all of us to get to see as a cranky old man. Yeah. Because he loved old people already. And like you said, he kind of harkened back to this era of show business that is completely a bygone era by now. And, uh, you know, the time of Rickles and these kind of people. And to get to see Norm kind of almost grow into what he always was in some ways uh, you know, imagining Norm as a 75-year-old comic, um, you know, g- continuing to go on The Tonight Show and do live dates and stuff as this sort of cranky old man act um, is just, uh, you know, just what a horrible thing that we've all been robbed of in, in that sense. But, uh, yeah, there's a great quote by by Jay there. But, um, yeah, Screwed is, screwed is great. I mean, I think if you're if – you're, um, you know, dealing with the sort of canon of, of Norm's uh, output, you got to put Screwed in there, of course. It's definitely a part of it. Yeah. We also had, he was in one of my favorite music videos of all time. Which one? That would be Steve motherfucking Polychronopolis by Adam Sandler. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to say favorite comedy music videos of all time. I thought that might have gave it away. Sure, sure. No, I, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's good times. I, I remember that video was good times. I figured I'd go a little deep dive for the real Norm fans out there. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, very sad stuff. You know, these... Like I said before, it's these iconic people that can't be duplicated. You know, you see a lot of stand-ups, no shot at newer stand-ups, but a lot of stand-ups that kind of went back to that old, you know, button-up with the holding the microphone. A lot of them kind of all appearance-wise and kind of gimmick-wise, it's all them, they're themselves completely. There's no real, very few gimmicks out there anymore. And I always appreciate the gimmicky, and I don't want trying gimmick. I don't mean gimmicky in a bad way. You know what I mean? Um, but that it's an act where it's like they 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 developed an act and it's a great act. You know what I mean? It's true performance. You know what I mean? There's a little more to that than just going out there and talking about you know what happened with your car that day or whatever. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think I don't. You know, I hate I hate it in times whenever I sound like I'm a old man, you know, shaking my fist on the lawn, yeah. the kids to slow down. And I, and I think that, that you know, as I get older, uh, I certainly can feel myself to, to some extent, you know, relating less to the, the music of our time or the films of our time or the comedy, because it's, you start realizing that it's like not for you. I mean, art in, in, in a pop culture sense, mainstream sense, you know, art on that level is really made for people that are between the ages of like eight and 25. And the further you get from that, the, 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 the less you sort of understand. I mean, nowadays, again, you know, everybody's on TikTok and Twitch and stuff, and I'm still like on Facebook and it's, there's, there's becoming a, a chasm of, of difference between like me and the kids these days and stuff. Um, and if certainly Norm is, like you said, is someone that fits into this world of like, I'm going to tell jokes. Like I'm not out here to, 
talk about my own truthful experience of I dated a girl and this thing happened and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to go on the tonight show and tell like an old joke, like, tell, you know, in the same kind of old joke that you would literally hear in 19, you know, 65 or something. And yeah. of course was able to do it in a way that, that somehow still felt uh, fresh and funny and there was a new take on it and it, what didn't feel, uh, you know, you know, out of date or archaic in any way, but that's, that's the, that's the show business persona that he was living in. And I don't feel like we have anyone anymore that is like that. I mean, I, I love, uh, you know, Mark Normand. I love, uh, Nate Bergazzi. Uh, you know, there's certainly. Shane Gillis. Some... Yeah. Dan Soda, yeah. Big J. Yeah. There's a lot of new dudes that are funny as hell, you know, For killing sure. it. For sure. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of really funny dudes. So, yeah. I didn't want to. I don't want to make it sound like nobody is cool and there's nobody cool doing it now, but there's more of a nowadays. It's not so you're not seeing gimmicks as much as what I was trying to go for, which no, could you're right. be a bad yeah. thing, you know, but no, for sure. You're right. And I, and I like I, those guys are funny. I, and there's no, it has nothing, it's not, nothing against them. It's just that, yeah, styles certainly change. And I think that one thing that we're is sort of illuminated that now that Norm is gone that you realize is that, you know, the, the edges are just getting rounded down even more. Like there, it, it, it's not to say that someone can't be funny today and that there aren't going to be young kids that are funny and that aren't, you know, I'm sure right now as we're talking, there's some 15 year olds out in the world that are really hilarious and they're going to, in five years, we'll start hearing about them and they'll make really funny stuff and they'll be funny. But, um, the, the the kind of difference maybe that we're starting to sense, especially like at our age, is just that, um, you know, there was a certain, uh, for lack of a much better word, because I don't even really like this, but there was a certain edge or edginess to the, 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 the style of people that Norm was a part of. And I'm certainly not saying... That, that you just have to go on stage and use the word like retard to be edgy and that's the right. like, way to do it. But it's just that there was, th- there's a certain level of like fearlessness and persona and gimmick for lack of a better word as well. Like you said, um, that is, is sort of being eroded away and shifting into something else. Now, again, that that's something else might evolve into something really fresh and new and really funny. <laughs> Um, I know that I feel the Trump era kind of uh, killed comedy in some ways because it, it, it didn't really work to make fun of him, but it also didn't really work to kind of um, point it back at ourselves either. And it didn't really work to be like, if you want to talk about just in general terms, like stereotype, stereotype comedy or talking about the other started to have this sort of queasy feeling and it was difficult to navigate. So I think like you brought up like Shane Gillis, who's someone that is definitely uh, closer in age to us or maybe younger that is, is still finding ways to uh, talk about uh, different groups and other people and stuff uh, and maybe walk a little bit of a tightrope and on an edge a little bit, but can still like get a joke off it and make it funny. I think Mark Normand is certainly uh, fits into that as well. Um, but no, it's, it's, it, you know, it's evolving and it's, it's changing into something different. I think I, I was just, you know, it's just sad because I think that 
for as long as Norm was alive, there was sort of at least one guy out there that you could count on that was your sort of bridge to this old world that, you know, really is sort of of our parents' time or maybe even before. But, you know, the, the old world that was that existed long before we did of, of sort of The Tonight Show and, and guys like Rickles and all that kind of stuff that I think we all sort of also love because we're just kind of into that stuff. But that just doesn't really exist anymore. And, and Norm felt like the last bridge culturally to, to any of that stuff. And it's, it's just another reason why it's sort of sad that it's gone because with that bridge now gone, it's almost like, well, how do we, where are we going now? It's like the, you know, that, that, that tether has been cut. So the raft is just sort of drifting off. And, and I think that Chappelle is probably a, a good throwback to, to some of that too, at least in the way that, he comes off as sort of more down and dirty and raw in, in a way. Oh, yeah, that legendary. Le- legendary. I just, I've been listening to comedy like yourself for many years. So it's just kind of sad to see, you know, like it was, I got that, like when, when, when Carlin died, like the dread that I reading that was like the yeah. same comparable to when I, when I, with the dread of hearing that Norm died, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just. Sure. For sure. You know, there'll never be another one of these people. You know what I mean? And it should, that's kind of the, the most discouraging part of it is their voice in a world of madness is kind of a voice of reason in a way and like a, a voice of calmness and can kind of give you a chuckle and calm your soul to the darkness around you. Because it is a dark ride. You know what I mean? You just, life's a dark ride and you got to kind of strap in and, find your little joys, you know what I mean? And uh, it's one of those things. Yeah. But no, it's very sad that, you know, one of these people that I feel like are a beacon of light for a lot of people, you know, comedians, you know, they make people laugh. I mean, a lot of people say healing uh, the best medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. You know what I mean? And I believe that. I honestly believe that, you know, you, you try, if you're easier said than done, but if you're, you're not being high spirits and such, you know, I feel like, uh, even if you fake it and you start, it'll eventually kick in like kickstarting a car, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's just very sad, very sad because there's these people, I don't think comedians get enough credit, um, for kind of the, the the good that they do in this world, you know what I mean. When you really think of it, there 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 there's careers that, um, you know, are set out to make people smile. A lot of it's you know the sad clown thing. You know what I mean. They, the comedians are usually tragic characters that, you know, they 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 know how bad it is. You know, they know what it feels like when you feel like garbage and they know how bad that is. So they're, they're trying to make other people not feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Absolutely. And Absolutely. It, yeah, it's sad. It's just definitely, you know, when you grow up with them, there's, you know, I often say, like, for people that didn't grow up loving comic books and Superman, like, your, your Superman becomes other things. Maybe it's your Superman's Hulk Hogan or your Superman's, you know, a Norm Macdonald or another comedian, you know what I mean? It's the, these people hold influence and inspiration, you know, just as much as any other childhood figure, you know, a hero, you know what I mean? Um, in comedians, you kind of grow with, you know what I mean? And life lessons are learned through them and such. It's, it's kind of a very interesting dynamic of, uh, 
I never use the word responsibility because I don't feel like they have a responsibility, but like they're definitely a part of society's almost like healing, you know, like inner, like when you talk about unity and everybody being cool with each other and in perfect world type stuff, you know what I mean? You got to look at comedians as people that, dedicate their time to try and do some good yeah there's money in it uh not a lot for any for a little bit for very few you know what i mean but like they mainly do it because they're trying to make people turn their frown upside down you know what i mean which is uh very honorable um and the thing with with norm you know even go all the way not announcing that he was sick you know i think the to go back to that you know, you know, he's a comedian. His whole life, he was trying to make people smile. Why do you want? Why in the end, in the last inning, why would you want to switch up the the game? And you know, they're gonna be sad eventually. Let them continue to be happy while they can. You know what I mean? I think that was the vibe that he went with. Yeah, I couldn't agree with all that more. I, I uh, as someone, you know, with depression myself. Uh, and also who, you know, is trying to be an artist or is an artist or is grappling with that and certainly creates art. Um, you know, I, I, I think um, I, I try to have an appreciation for literally anyone that steps up to the plate of, of art making, whether I like what they do or not. But it was when you would find those people out there um, that somehow seemed to just you know, in corny way to say it, but are just sort of tuned to, you know, a similar frequency to you that maybe said things that resonated because things that you've literally said to yourself in your own head uh, on your own independently before you ever heard them say it. And so it resonates or, or something that they, they put something in a certain way that, that just feels exactly like your experience so that you know that even if you, don't know them personally or, or, and, and, or will never meet them in life or never cross paths with them in, in, in person, um, that, that they are somehow, um, at least in some small way, uh, are just experiencing the world the same way that, that you are, even if it is for a, even if it is just persona, even if it is just a gimmick, even if it is just for a fleeting moment, um, you know, you, you have this sort of belief that, that there's a truth to that. And I know, at least for myself, as someone that uh, that's such a rare thing and never really felt like they sort of uh, were worthy or, or fit into any sort of kind of group. Um, or uh, And not to say that I didn't, you know, have friends and don't have friends and stuff like that. But, but you know, that I, I always felt somehow on the fringes of society or an outcast in some way or just that whatever the crowd was doing um, I didn't fit into or even made me kind of uncomfortable. And I felt like an outsider from uh, yeah. When you discover somebody like a norm, you know, that the antenna gets, you know, gets raised uh, locks onto it because yeah, it's someone that is expressing, you know, this human experience in a way that you actually really truly relate to. Um, and it's a really, it's the, I think it's the deepest, thing in the world and i think it's like the why, the reason why uh art exists and, and is made and, and really why so much uh money is thrown at art and at the creation of it because i think that that feeling is so profound that uh you know that people co- sort of come in and say well hey we can we can make a buck off of that it, uh, you know here here here's 
here's $750 million, go make your, your Marvel movie or whatever, because we're, we're going to try to get that feeling out to as many people as possible and, and sell a lot of stuff. And so, you know, and, and there's some people out there that it works and they, they really relate to it and it makes them feel good. And I, I would never begrudge that experience, but for me, it just so happened to be Norm. And I know for a, a lot of other people in sort of the little cult of Norm, it was, it was them. And, um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's a sad day to, to, to think that that's, there's not going to be any more added to that mountain. So his, his output is, is finished and there's no, and, and like you said, I mean, he literally had dates, you know, booked live, like, uh, this whole time all, all the way through. So he was still out there touring and doing it. Um, and so that there's been this cap on, on that material is, is really tragic and sad. Uh, but thankfully, at least with YouTube and everything, there's more than enough uh, material to always go back and, and look at. And I continue, I certainly continue to do that. And, um, yeah, you know, you just got to keep on, keep on going. It's true. You know what I mean? Alexander, do you want to say anything, uh, in closing on No McDonald and then me and Greg will wrap it up? Uh, nothing much more than, um, going off of what Greg said that, uh, I mean, it's, it's so important, um, to have people, uh, whether you, you connect with them or not, but those who, you know, do art, those who, uh, especially comics, because uh, comics are so important in the fact that, when people are at their lowest, they need to laugh. And I always believe that comics are, I mean, not to downplay anyone else that has artistic ambitions or, or do different arts, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's, you know, photography. But the the, the fact of, a comic gives a lot of themselves out there and they usually delve into a very personal space to help alleviate either the depression or the heartache of a person. So, I mean, for example, in my case, you know, I, when Robin Williams passed, that, that hit me hard. Yeah, and I can understand the fact of not knowing someone personally, only knowing his work, only knowing the the art that he puts out, and and the loss of that person. I mean, I can understand when you feel so closely to someone's art and who that person is that even if you never met them, when they when they pass. It, it hurts you almost as much as someone that you do know passes. And, um. Comedy's, I mean, not to cut you off, but comedy is like music. You know what I mean? Like, one person can write it, and a world full of people can all feel different, even different things, not even the same feelings. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with, with the comedy. Back to yeah. You. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is that, well, I might not have been um, part of the cult of Norm. Uh, I, I, I always appreciate it. I, I appreciate anyone yeah. that puts themselves out, whether I connect with them or not. 
and especially when you uh, when someone who decides to be a comic, you know, well, not saying that other actors don't put themselves out there. I always feel that comics put a little bit more of themselves out there. And, and, and not only by doing that, but by doing that helps so many people by trying to put a little bit of light, a little bit of humor on very dark subjects, which I think is very important because there's nothing more important than when you feel so, so, uh, depressed, so dark. So when you're in that, that feeling that you need some kind of light and comics give us that. So when a comic does pass away, it's, it's, I think that a passing of a comic, even if you might not have been a fan of theirs, is extremely hard to take a lot of times because they give, they give so much. I mean, what they give out, you know, helps so many people more than they even know. And that's why, you know, it's always, always tough when someone like that who has touched you so much passes. Even if you've never physically met them, it's, it's almost a spiritual connection between you and this person that you've never met. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. Greg, you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's really well said, and I apologize for going on and on and on. Oh no, no, no! It's no it's okay. I mean, I mean, the thing is that you had a lot of uh, good things you talked about. You had a lot of good stories and insights, and the thing is, it's important to allow you know you to talk about it and go on and and it's it's more important to get get the stories out there than anything else yeah i appreciate that a lot and i uh, you know i yeah and i really really appreciate that and and uh yeah i mean i i, I if we're kind of closing up wrapping it up i'll, I'll just say that um i you know, i haven't thought ahead on this at all so i'm just kind of talking but um you know yeah norm was a a truly unique, special, you know, talented, you know, I, I, I don't like to throw the word genius around too lightly, but I think that there was a genius uh, happening there. And he certainly uh, made me laugh harder and more often and more profoundly than uh, any other human being on this earth. Uh, I say that without any exaggeration or any hyperbole. Uh, he was someone that my friends and I shared in, at times, but someone also that I could, you know, just uh, listen to as I fell asleep, which is something that I did quite literally uh, over a thousand times in my life, if not, if not more than that. Um, he was, he could be dirty, he could be clean, he could be, uh, you know, he could put on the character of the fool, of the everyman, he mm. could be, uh, he could be deeply intellectual and deeply thoughtful. If you go and watch his um, Netflix show, he sits down with David Spade, but he also sits down with M. Night Shyamalan. Um, you know, he, he had a very eclectic uh, yeah. um, 
scholarship of, of, of cinema and literature and music. Um, you know, some of the most famous things that he, he, have, he has done, if anyone is, you know, is just interested in kind of the greatest hits, you know, he has um, three stand-up specials, one called Ridiculous, one called Me Doing Stand-Up, called Hitler's Dog. Um, they're the three, you know, I think greatest stand-up specials maybe ever. Uh, you know, his, his several famous bits on Conan over the years, including the moth joke and also the famous appearance with Courtney Thornton Smith, where they end up making fun of Carrot Top, which Norm yeah. later apologized uh, for because it just it was sort of wasn't supposed to be this like big thing. But it kind of was like he's really being kind of mean to Carrot Top, which is kind of just funny anyway. Um, we love know, Carrot Top, too. I like Carrot Top a lot. Yeah. I, I feel that. Uh, obviously, the all the Letterman appearances and just the fact that he was, you know, Letterman's favorite comic and closed the show as the last comedian to ever be on Letterman. Um, Those are some of those special things. I mean, Letterman for me was also a a big guy and, 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 uh, and to see the two of them, you know, next to each other, just talking and Norm making Letterman laugh was always a really, really special thing. And those appearances, you know, again, span all the way from, 1990 all the way to 2015 when the show ended. Uh, Norm's book called Based on a True Story came out in 2016. Truly one of the most unique um, comedy memoir autobiographies ever written. Really more of just a comic novel that has truth found within it if you know know where to look, if that makes sense. Um, You know, the weekend update segments that Norm hosted on SNL between it must have been about 1994 to 98 somewhere right in that pocket uh, are some of the most legendary television appearances you know of all time and one of the greatest uh, things that ever has ever happened on SNL and of course the you know him playing the ball and playing Tarantino of all people him uh, you know playing um, Bob Dole Burt Reynolds famous one Uh, the movie Dirty Work which was oddly enough you know directed by Bob Saget and the only movie he ever directed. Um, and, and it, you know, I will say, you know, directed essentially poorly in the sense that there's nothing like the music, the, the soundtrack is like kind of lame and just like modern pop songs of the time period. The staging is sort of cartoonish and fine in a way, but, you know, kind of just is what it is. I mean, as a film, it's sort of, it's sort of like, rough around the edges in a way that a movie directed by Bob Saget probably would be. But in another sense, it's, uh, you know, really captures Norm's sort of sense of humor and, and spirit in a really amazing way. And it's really one of the, in a cultish sense, it's one of like sort of the funniest movies ever made. If you are a big fan of Norm, uh, his yeah. YouTube podcast that he had, uh, back around 2013 or 14, there's 36 episodes that exist. Unfortunately, they're not really available. Um, there's only like one or two that are available in full on YouTube to this day. Uh, so it's kind of hard to find. But one of the best thing, one of the sort of funniest, most sort of gonzo, um, just like open-ended, you know, no no pre-interview, no preparing kind of podcast ever done. Um, just a really brilliant thing. Probably the one of the funniest things that he ever did. Um and then, of course, there's just, you know, there's the I'm Not Norm YouTube channel, which, you know, nobody knows who runs that, but they do daily clips of Norm. And I mean, at this point, 
after five years, uh, it's basically recycling the same kind of clips over and over in different ways. But that is a wealth of, you know, you can sort of scan through the, the, the hundreds of videos on that channel and you'll get a sense of all the different appearances. But, you know, there's so many just um, podcast interviews and appearances over the years, over the last decades. And uh, like I said, if the deeper that you go down into the rabbit hole beyond sort of just the greatest hits that I just mentioned, um, you really will find some really deeply interesting stuff. You know, Norm talking about his faith, uh, talking about uh, politics in probably a surprising uh, way, um, you know, talking about about life and meditating on, on death and philosophy and art uh, that I, I think it would be surprising. I mean, not to be jerky, but, you know, it's sort of like, there's, I couldn't picture, I won't, I guess I won't name out any other names as examples, but any of his contemporaries, it's sort of like, I couldn't picture them being able to have these kinds of conversations that I've heard Norm have. And it's nothing against them. And some of them are obviously brilliant and, and amazing and, and, and made this great stuff. But Norm, the further that you dig into his uh, wealth of interviews and, and stuff of him talking, um, there's just a depth and a le- level of just unique voice and interesting material there that I think is unmatched uh, and is just really profound. And he was a big part of my life and it's sad that he's gone, but I'm trying to keep up a good you know, face and just remember the funny stuff and continuing to listen and laugh. And, and I love him and I miss him and I never knew him, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but He's, you know, he's gone. That's it. Yeah. So, like, like, like Greg was saying, go to YouTube and just go into a deep dive. You know, interviews, SNL stuff, everything. Dirty work. Classic. Pick it up. I think it's streaming on Amazon. Um, yeah. I think you'll probably because of, because of the. I'm just passing. You'll probably be able to catch a lot of stuff up on the Amazon and Netflix coming soon because they know that people are going to be wanting to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, but definitely check into it. Yeah. No McDonald comedy outlaw. He was an outlaw in the end. I like to think of him in a, an old Western comedy club with a cowboy hat on with a cigarette in his hair, not lit. That he, you know, and uh, yeah, there you go. Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. Real quick, you know, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of Greg, just uh, we'll give out his address at the end of the show, and everybody can go stop it and say hi. Um, we know you got it's coming up soon. There's been some talk of uh, Psycho Ape 2. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep, yep. We'll be doing a sequel to Psycho Ape. Uh, we'll be a Kickstarter for that uh, pretty soon. Um, been, we've been really uh, blessed and grateful about just the just the reaction to the first one, and we've, we've sold over 500 copies and won, won a couple, um, you know, festi- little festivals here and there, and it continues to screen, and uh, you know it's on, it's available on Amazon. It's available on DVD. You can kind of contact uh, the director to to pick up a copy. It's on eBay. Uh, you know, kind of being sold through there. You just contact Addison. 
Uh, we got a VHS version of it coming soon. And um, yeah, we've been, we getting the team back together and, and writing a, a second one and having a lot of fun with that. So uh, yeah, very exciting. And it'll be a lot of fun. The great Bill Whedon. We had Bill Whedon. He's a friend of the Boombastic Media family. There you go. Yeah, Bill's amazing. I, I love Bill. He's a joy to work with. He's become a really good friend of mine. Very sweet guy. Um, and also just, gosh, at, at 80 years old, uh, I he has more energy than me and more zest for life. And I so wish that if I make it to that age that I have um, – you know, a third of his uh, charisma and, and energy because uh, it's just very inspiring. And another reason why I'm very excited to do the sequel to Psychoape, just to get to hang with him again and 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 just be around him because it's it's just a really uh, positive, uh, fun thing. Bill is the greatest. We got him lined up for our next picture. We're gonna have Bill in the film. Oh, that's and so great! Hell yeah! Great dude, local. He's from uh, my neck of the woods originally, which is cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's great. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah, Bill yeah. is the greatest. Bill is the greatest. And uh, the director of Hectic Knife. Uh, I love Hectic Knife. Big fan. Breath of Fresh Air. Troma put it out. Um, and it's uh, modern day, underground, low budget master piece film to watch i feel i love it i think it's a big 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 stuff big stuff alexander hawk mm-hmm. how you doing over there i'm doing good i'm doing good yeah oh uh, yeah i don't believe you i think you're <laughs> fucking lying um i'm always doing good i always I doing good man me and me and Alexander were just at Happenstance Horror Film Festival this past weekend. It was a very traumatic situation. Alexander Hawk was there upsetting everybody. And uh, we were selling the DVDs and the posters and the merchandises. Uh, a lot of fun. Great turnout. I was surprised, you know, in a post, post-COVID, if that's even a thing, if we're even post-world. Uh, I was surprised at the turnout, you know what I mean? The conventions are getting back. I guess there was a con not too long ago that there was some sickness broke out at, but for the most part, when I see pictures, uh, everybody's kind of getting back into the swing of things. And at, where we were at that film festival, there was pretty, pretty dang good turnout. I was surprised. Yeah, I think I think people are, are trying uh, trying to get out and trying to, you know, find some kind of... Uh, a semblance of, you know, you know, normalcy after everything that has happened. So, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think uh, conventions are, and film festivals are going to be coming back. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting my uh, good thoughts that next year uh, they'll be, you know, going in full steam ahead. Yeah, we met Greg at, a, at, at on the convention circuit, the Gross Fest over in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, 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 it was great. And and uh, I should plug that uh, if anyone's going to Cinema Wasteland next week, Psycho Ape will be screening uh, there, and Addison will be there, so you can say hi to Addison and pick up a copy of it from him if you want. I think it's screening on at noon on Saturday. Um, and uh, yeah, I same thing as you guys. I, I don't know if we're in a 
post-COVID world or what <laughs> yeah. we're ever going to be in again. I, I know that it's 100 degrees in, in fall and that the world is on fire. So if it's not, if we're not all dying of COVID, then we're all burning alive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm, you know, hopefully that the, the convention circuit will start to kind of reemerge uh, in the way that it, that it was before and, and uh, be great to see you guys again in that context or any other, but yeah, it was great to get to meet at uh, gross fest and I hope that the world comes back. Gross family is going to bring us back for a big anniversary uh, anniversary appearance. It'll be good times. Nice. It'll be good deals. That'll be fun. Yeah. But hell yeah. Um, yeah, everybody get out there. If you can get a chance to go see Psycho Ape, go see Psycho Ape. It's a lot of fun. And I ain't just whistling Dixie on that. Uh, and I'll give you a big compliment. Greg's one of my uh, favorite of the underground filmmakers right now. I think everything that he's been doing is fucking superb and, uh, y'all should go out there and support it. And, uh, that Alexander Hawk guy, he's pretty good too. So if you want, if you got <laughs> time, you should support that guy too. Hey, um, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, love you guys. I, love you guys. I love DJ Stan, the man, and I appreciate it so much. And, uh, yeah, I, I love you guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. And uh, you'll catch all of us on the upcoming Halloween episode. So everybody be on the uh, lookout for that. They'll be on the old Boombastic Media YouTube page. And uh, we'll all be getting down in our cherry Halloween spirits. All right. Glorious. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of the Boombastic cast. Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald.